Hi, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's a special day. Today is uh, Yom Yerushalayim, and it's uh, it's also my mother's um, yard site, Asara um, Chaya Bas Ari Haklein, and um, so so may these words be a, an elevation for her uh, neshama. And um, just a couple of, couple of things about my mom before uh, we start, which is that. Uh, Something that just made me smile today, uh, you know, it, the, the, the the layout of the of the parshios um, is we have Achremos, then we have Kedoshim, then we have Emor. So the there's a, a saying among among Jews, Achremos um, Kedoshim Emor. In other words, after their death, you, you should understand their holiness and speak it out Emor. So, so the the rolling out of the names of the weekly portions, you know, tell you that to speak of the holiness of your, uh, of, of those after they've left the world, um, all the more so your parents, since we have a, a, a mitzvah to, to honor them um, during their lifetime and as much or more so um, after they pass. So, you know, um, the, 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 the way we do it uh, is we don't say tachanun, it's a special prayer um, on the yard side of of tzaddikim, and and so it just I never made the connection before, but today it it, it made me happy that because she was nifter, because she left the world on Yom Yerushalayim, Yom Yerushalayim they don't say tachanun. So I thought, oh, so for my mother's yard side they also don't say tachanun, you know. So it's it's a it's speaking to her holiness, and. Um, and then also, you know, we've we've uh, mentioned it something just so special, really, that uh, it says in the Gomorrah that that the the next world, the world of souls, and this world are so close to each other, like like two hairs on the same head, meaning that's how close this world and and the world of souls is. And with that in mind, my mother was nifter um, eighteen years ago. And I, I never realized this until until a few days ago. So um, I'm grateful. Every where she was nifter during the um, the uh, counting of the Omer and um, on the on, on the forty second day of the Omer, uh, which is today, Yom Yerushalayim, and the the sphere combination for today um, is oh actually it's the forty third day. I'm sorry is Chesed Shabamachus, which if you want to factor in Yerushalayim, uh, Yom Yerushalayim, there's a very, you know, very strong connection. Why is that Chesed Shabamachus? So we know that Malchus is this dimension that we're in right now. That's, that's called Malchus. And Chesed is kindness. So, so the kindness that became manifest in this dimension, Chesed Shabamachus, is, is the day that, that the Jewish people were allowed to reclaim Yerushalayim and, 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 the, and the Beis HaMikdash, where, where, the, where the Beis HaMikdash is, the Kotel. So that's really Chesed Shabamachus. That's, that's, that, that's as good a definition of today as you'll ever get. Um, but it's also the day that my mom left the world. And, and the next day is Gevura Shabamachus. So we know that each of the spherod have a different um, Torah personality as- associated with them. 
So my name is uh, David Yitzchak, and Malchus is David, and Gvura is Yitzchak. So my name is right next to my mom's. Like she left Chesed Sheba Malchus, the next day is Gavor Sheba Malchus, that's David Yitzchak. So like two hairs next to each other on the same head. You know, that's, that's how close. And, and what I think is extra beautiful about that um, to me, besides that being, wow, like look at that, is that I didn't realize it for 18 years which shows you that um, when a, a loved one goes away, that the relationship doesn't end. It continues to evolve and it deepens. The relationship doesn't stop. And so to get you know something like this years and years later is just a sign of the deepening of the relationship, not, not God forbid, um, just the, the memory of it. Okay. So... So I'd like to, I'd like to discuss uh, a very big topic today. It's a, impossible really to cover, but we can touch on one part of it. And it's a question that I had been wondering about. And then on Shabbos, I opened up um, a sefer, uh, some writings from the um, Noam Elimelech. And there I, I saw an answer to my question. And I was so happy and because it was a, a very sort of like specific question that I had. So... So I want to discuss this, um, an aspect of this topic of amuna. Amuna is translated as faith. And specifically, one aspect of it, which is called um, um, the schos of amuna, meaning to say schos is, is, means merit. So, so I, I was sort of struggling to understand what does it mean that you get essentially reward for your belief. Like, how does that help you to get what it is that you want? Right? So, in other words, believing very strongly is a schus. It's a, it's a merit. But how does it work exactly? And it's something that becomes, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in a moment, but it's something that becomes very emotionally complicated for people, especially when they're really praying for something and when they really do believe. And it just, it just has to be discussed in a very straightforward way. And I hope that this discussion right now will bring some clarity to something that can become something that can often lead to um, depression or, or, or sadness or frustration with God. And let's just kind of lay out the topic. Okay. So, so a lot of people think that, okay, let's say, and I'm going to give a, a very silly example on purpose, um, because these things are so emotional and personal that I don't, I don't want to be more specific. So let's say I really want a pony, right? <laughs> I want a pony so badly, oh, and, and I'm believing very strongly I have great belief that God, you're going to give me this pony, right? And I'm believing it and I'm davening it all the time and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm doing so much, but I'm putting lots of belief in it. And I know that having belief, strong belief, is a schus, it's a merit. So in the merit of my strong belief, God, 
I know you're going to bring me the pony. So, so this is very complicated. This is how most people approach the subject, and this is very complicated, because what happens when you don't get the pony? Or if you don't get the pony? Or what's taking so long? Like, God, there are a lot of ponies. <laughs> like, you know, give me one of them. You know, it's not so hard for you. Nothing's hard for you. Right? So, and then you, then this leads to darker thoughts. Well, you know, I really do believe it. It's not like I'm making up this belief. I really do believe. So what's, what's going wrong? Okay. So I think that uh, the first thing is we have to make a distinction. And this is a very, I think, important distinction, which is that when we say we believe, and we believe, we believe, I believe so much, that what are we, what is it that we believe? This is, listen clearly. We believe in God, and we believe in God's goodness. Okay? As opposed to, I believe so much that I'm going to get the pony. So the real belief, the real belief is I'm believing in you, God, and I'm believing in your goodness. Now the Rambam says that the more yira a person has, the more awe and, and the more attached a person is to God, the more God provides that person with extra um, divine providence, extra, extra guidance. Right? So, so when you think about it, this is, a, this is, this is a tremendous thing because, because now listen to how the mechanics change. You see, if, if I really, if I really believe so strongly in, in God and in God's goodness, that's going to bring me up to a higher place, to a place where I have extra divine providence, extra guidance from God. And now God is absolutely going to do the best thing for me. And the best thing for me might absolutely not to give me a pony. <laughs> because the best thing for me, God might say, look, you don't know anything about riding a horse, for goodness sakes. That pony's going to throw you, you're going to hit your head against a rock, and who knows? Right? You know how expensive it is to, to keep a horse? You haven't got that for, for the horse and the stable and this, that, and the other thing. There are a million reasons why. But, but understand how that just laid out. So you say, well, what was the merit of my belief? I merited, I, I, I had so much belief. What was the schus? How did the, how did the merit manifest itself? Well, the merit did manifest itself. It manifested itself that you received a higher level of divine providence. And within that higher level of divine providence, God absolutely made sure that you even got the best thing, which wasn't what you wanted at that moment, even though you may have really thought that you wanted it. Now listen to this, or even if you actually did want it. Now, now listen to this, something very, very interesting. This is, um, we say this three times a day, 
Um, and this is a Torah from the Baal Shem Tov. Listen very carefully. It's in, we say it in, 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 in Ashrei, okay? I'm going to, it's in for the, you know, there's something for each letter. This is for Ratzon. Ratzon Yireav Yaseh Yechavetam Yishmav Yoshiem. So listen to this in English and listen to the order of these words and see if you have the question that the Baal Shem Tov is going to answer. The will, right? We're talking about the will. The will of those who fear him, he will do. And their cry, he will hear and save them. Listen again. The will of those who fear him, he will do. And their cry, he will hear and save them. So the Baal Shem Tov says, you know what? It's, it's all out of order. Really, it should say, their cry, he will hear. And then he's going, then he's going to do it and save them. So why is it in this order? The will of those who fear him, he will do, meaning he's going to answer the person's prayer and their cry he will hear and save them. So why is the cry happening after the prayer was answered? Because in the previous phrase, the prayer was answered. The will of those who fear him, he will do. So there's, a, there's an expression, more Pain comes from answered prayers than unanswered prayers. So the Baal Shem Tov says that the will of those who fear him he will do. Sometimes you have a situation where God will answer a person's prayer, but it wasn't really for their benefit. Then the next phrase, and their cry he will hear. God, I didn't want that thing. I thought I wanted it, but I don't want it. And then it says, and he will save them. Then he's going to save you from the prayer that he answered that you prayed. So, so it's, it's very, very complicated when we pray for things because that's why many people, and it's a good thing to do, say, you say, you hear it, son of please God, if it's your will, that I should have this. This way you, you are sort of like praying for it, which you have to do because that's part of the effort you have to put into getting what you want. You have to pray for it. Remember, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says, only animals get things that they don't pray for. A human being has to pray for the thing that he gets. That's part of the dignity of being a human being, that you have the privilege of praying for it. There's a, a famous story that, that Reb Nassim, Reb Rabbi Nachman's, you know, great um, chassid who wrote down the Lukutei Moran and, and um, that one time he asked for something incidental. I don't, I don't remember what it was, like a button or, or something small. And Rabbi Nachman asked him, did you pray for it first? And he told him, he said, only animals ask for something or get something without praying for it first. And he said to him, is it beneath you to feel as though you have to pray for something so small? See, it's very good to pray for everything before you get it, even very small things. The reason is because our prayers are being answered all the time. But the problem is we're not praying for these things. Like, for instance, you know, when you get into your car and the car starts your prayer was answered that your car is not broken, but you didn't pray that your car should start. But you had your prayer answered, but you didn't even pray. 
So in other words, so many of us, you see, Rabbi Nachman is giving us the, the, the solution to one of the great problems of the human condition, which is the feeling of being all alone and isolated, and the feeling that um, we're very disconnected from God, and the feeling that God is not answering our prayers, which then leads us to an emotional uh, association that God doesn't care about us, or God doesn't love us, or God isn't close by. All these things sort of like pop up in our mind, whether we feel them consciously or not. Because we're only actively praying for certain things. And we don't realize that God is answering our prayers with every, every time you stand up from a chair is an answer to a prayer. You know, there are a lot of people we should know from it and they should all be healed. They're in chairs. They can't stand up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone who's in a wheelchair all of a sudden stood up? This would be the biggest miracle. How many, how many times do we sit down and we stand right up? That's the answer to a prayer. So, so you should never think that any prayer is beneath you. And don't, God forbid, ever make the mistake of thinking, because some people say this and it, it's, a, it's a pet peeve of mine. Some people say, you know what, God's very busy, I don't want to bother him. This is, this is, this is uh, a, not a sign of respect, that's a sign of disrespect. Because it's, it's, it's not even beginning to fathom the level of his infinity. He's, he, he, God, the concept of God being busy is already you don't understand who God is if you think that he's ever busy. Or ever too busy. Right? Um, so, so, so what, what happens in terms of Amuna? So then, what is the schus of Amuna? What is the merit, this sort of bonus that you get for having faith? So this is the question. So, seemingly, it's not necessarily to get the thing, right? Although, we have to, like I say, this is a very, very big subject. And, 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 and there's a, like a famous story about two Hasidim and, and one of them, uh, they both are praying for children. And one of them, you know, doesn't get his prayer answered and the other one does. And so, so the, the Rebbe says, well, he, he bought the baby carriage. So in other words, he, he believes so much it was going to happen, he got, the, he got the baby carriage. And that, that, that was a, a, an extra blessing. That In other words, in the schus of his amuna, in the merit of his amuna, he believed so much that, that it helped. So, so, so how, do, how do all these things work? Because it's, it's, it, it seems to be a, a confusing topic. Because it seems that there is a benefit from from having a moon. So now, with, with this in mind, hopefully we can find some sort of reconciliation and, and in, in the words of the Noam Elimelech. And he, he talks about um, divine pipelines, right? You see, so when we talk about blessing coming down from heaven, there's a word we use often, shefa. Shefa is like, Blessing, it's like abundance, it's like, that's the, 
the divine positive energy that comes down. So we all want Shefa. Shefa, Bracha, it's, a, it's like, it's a, it's a, it, that's blessing coming down. Okay? So, the Noam Elimelech says that if a person lacks faith, that what can happen is they can break these pipelines. And the, pipe, the pipelines become broken. And it's, it's very interesting. In Hebrew, the word for um, will is ratzon. So will is like your desire. But it could also be your amuna, right? If you have tremendous ratzon, right, that can be amuna too. And if you rearrange the letters of the word ratzon, it spells the word sinor, which means pipe, right? Because these are divine pipelines that it goes through. So you see this correlation between this idea of will, and we're saying will includes emuna, faith, and, and the faith being a pipeline. It's the exact same letters as the pipeline. And so if the will is not there, or if the faith is not there, the pipeline can get broken and it doesn't flow down. Right? So, so interestingly, we just read um, one of the parshas with the, the, the klalas, right? Like, like the not so muches, right? That's the consequences. We don't like to say the word curses, but the consequences for not um, doing the mitzvahs. And I saw this particular pasuk, and it seemed to be very much on this subject. It's uh, chapter 26, verse 26. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, 26 is Yitke Vovke, so this is 2626, okay? Um, bless you, in Vayikra. So uh, I'll read it for you in English. It says, um, so again, it's, a, it's not a, it's, on the surface, it's not going to sound so positive. When I break for you the staff of bread, and it says 10 women will bake your bread in one oven. Right? So in other words, in, in that version, like that's that's a bad thing. Like one oven shouldn't hold the, the 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 bread of ten people. Right? That means there's very little bread. Right? And as the beginning of the Pusak starts, when I break for you the staff of bread. So in Hebrew, it says, um, the staff of bread is Matelechem. So a staff, and by the way, um, I gave a whole class. Um, it was. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. If you if you want to hear more on this idea of of Moshe's staff, right? Because Moshe would hold his staff, his long stick, right, during all all of the miracles. So what what's the whole idea of his staff? It's there, there's lots of amazing things about it. So it says that it, it uses the same word as Moshe's staff. Okay, and by the way, interestingly, it says, you know, what we were eating in the desert the whole time was the, the man, which was, which was basically bread from heaven. Okay, it didn't look like a loaf of bread. They, it, was, it was like a different form, but it was, and, and they, they, they say, um, the Chassam Sofer says, the brocha we would make on the man was, brocha ta Hashem, elokeinu melcholam, hamotzi lechem min hashamayim. God who brings forth lechem, bread from the heavens. Okay, usually you say lechem min ha'aretz, right? But this was the special man. That was in the merit, the man was in the merit, it was given to us in the merit of Moshe. 
Okay, so now we're talking about bread, and we're using the same word as Moshe's staff, which is appropriate. And it says that the that God is going to break the mate of the lechem, the staff of the bread. So what does a staff look like? What does a stiff look a stick look like? A pipeline. Right? It's a pipeline. And what was the whole idea of Moshe's staff? It was this conduit between heaven and earth. It was like this divine lightning rod. So it says, part of this, this klala says that when hunger comes, this staff is going to break. So what's the Noam Elimelech talking about? That with lack of amuna, the pipeline breaks. Okay, so you see it right here. Now, interestingly... Um, I was uh, my my great friend uh, Yehuda Solomon, or Chazan at the Happy Minion, and of course the leader of the Moshav Ben, an amazing individual, points out that in in, in modern Hebrew, this same root b'shivrei, which means to break, also means to give. So we know from all the Rebbe's that there are blessings in all these klalas. So, so even the very phrase that says that, that, that it's going to break the pipeline on a deeper level, it's all, also talking about giving the bread. Right? If we have the eyes to see the, the blessings inside the curses, or what appear to be the curses. Okay. So, so now we can give another answer, which is what is the schus of Amunah? What is the merit? What is this bonus like that I get from believing? So, so according to the Noam Elimelech, your belief is repairing the pipelines so that the blessing can come down. Now, that's, that's a very good deal. That's a very, very good deal because my belief now is absolutely accomplishing something. I'm repairing any pipelines that could be broken. That's very excellent. Now I understand the schos of Amuna. So, so now with this in mind, I want to give an explanation to um, something that is popping up around the Jewish people these days. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And there are, there, in fact, there's a whole book about things like this which is the merit or the great good in saying amen. And people are having what they call amen parties, right? And with, with the explanation that we just gave, we can explain, maybe, give an explanation of why these amen parties work, okay? So um, there's a whole book about the, the power of saying amen. By the way, you should know in the Gomorrah, there's a debate in the Gomorrah as to who gets more merit. The person who says the blessing or the person who says amen? And there's an opinion that the person who says amen to another person's blessing actually gets more merit than the person who said the blessing. Um, And what they compare it to is they say in a war, they have like the troops come in battle and the first wave of soldiers usually gets killed more or less, but they weaken the enemy. And then the next wave of soldiers are successful and, and win the battle. So, so, so in the Gomorrah, this opinion is explained 
The first wave of soldiers is the blessing, but then the next wave, which wins the battle, is the amen, because that comes after. So amen is, is very, very great. So there's a, a great rabbi, I want to say it's the Baba Sali, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, I have to double check. Someone really needed some blessing, he needed a prayer answered, and he, he invited him to his house, and he said, told him to make the prayer over the talus, he makes the prayer over the talus, and with all of his might he said, Amen! And the person's prayer, whatever condition that he was in, his prayer was answered, whatever this great need that he was. And then people started making these amen parties. So what is it? They, it's like a fabrengen. I've never been to one actually, but it was described to me. And then over the course of the sharing and singing and Torahs that people will make, there will be different types of food there. And people will eat the food, say the blessing over the food, and everyone will say amen. But when they're saying amen, they're not just saying amen to that blessing. They're saying amen that basically the heavenly pipeline should be reestablished. Reconnected. So let's understand. So how does Amen establish pipelines and things like this? So so here's my understanding. Amen is Gematria 91. By the way, Amen, just let's start with the, the basics. Amen is 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 from the root, the Hebrew root, Amuna. Memnun. Amen. Amuna. Memnun. So in other words, the word Amen contains the word amuna, faith. Okay? And, and, and the rabbis explain that amen is an acrostic, el melech ne'aman, God faithful king. Okay? So, so the whole word amen means on a letter by letter and on a root level, it's talking about faith. So the whole word, word means faith, amen. Okay? Interestingly, also, it's Aleph Man, right? Where did the Man come from? The Man fell from heaven, the Aleph. <laughs> so, so the whole, the whole coming down of, of Man is, is, is Amen, you know? Okay. So, so Amen is, is one of the great numbers in Torah. Amen is Gematria 91. Aleph is 1, Mem is 40, Nun is 50. That's 91. So 91 is the combination of two very important names of Hashem. The Yudke Vavke, right? Hashem's holiest name, which, mean, which means, as Reb Shlomo put it one time, God, master of everything beyond borders, like master of the infinite. That's Yudke Vavke. Then we had, have what's called Adnus, Aleph, Dalud, Nun, Yud which means God, master of the world, which means that God is controlling everything within borders. So you could say that's this world, or you could say that's nature, or whatever it is. So when you have the number 91, you're talking about two names of God, God, master of earth, and God, master of heaven, together. It's only one power, only God. Okay? So that's contained in the, word, in the number 91, these two names of God. And the word Amen is the number 91. So the word Amen is testifying to these two names of God, Master of heaven and earth, together. So what's the whole idea of pipelines being broken? Pipelines being broken means heaven and earth are, are being separated. But when you say Amen, you're repairing all the pipelines. 
And remember, a man is a Muna. A man is saying, yes, God, you do this, you're doing this, you're doing it right now. It's true, it's all true. That's the restoration of the pipelines. And now the flow can happen. And now with that in mind, we can understand why this word, Beshivrei Lechem, Mata Lechem, that not that God is, that that very same verse now, not that God is breaking the, the staff, the pipeline of bread, but God is giving over the pipeline for bread. Because Amuna is that thing that can either break it or repair it. Lack of Amuna can break it. Strong Amuna can repair it. So, so this, according to my understanding, this is the great good, and, and, and according to my reading of the, the Noam Elimelech, this is the great schos of Amuna, at least on one level, which is that you're repairing any, any spiritual damage that there are to the heavens and to the divine flow and for the shefa coming down. And that's a very great merit. Then, once the pipelines are in place, then your belief is also in the goodness of God that what you need is going to come down. Okay? But you can know that if you really have belief that you're getting the real answer to your prayer. Not the answer to a prayer that you're going to have to be saved from from later, like the Baal Shem Tov talks about. Right? that the real blessing to your prayer is coming down. So, so this is, this is very, um, this is big, and, and, you know, I once, I, I once tried to say in something like 20 seconds, the the entire um, the the entire uh, history of a relationship with God going from incredible amuna to total anger and disbelief. <laughs> so I try to act it out in in just a few seconds, right? God, I know that you run the world. I know you're so great. I know nothing happens without your blessing. God, there's this thing that I want so much. Please, God, in your greatness, because you control absolutely everything. Please, God, send this down. Please, God. God, I've been praying. What's what's happening? It's not coming down yet. God, are you listening to me? Why aren't you listening to me? Do you hate me? Okay, so it started off. (laughs) It started off so positive. Person is acknowledging the greatness of God. Everything comes from God. And then... Before you know it, the person is completely alienated, doesn't believe, and thinks God hates him. So what happened? What happened to that person? The person started off so well. What happened to the person by the end? So, so what, what I think happens to us, and it's a very natural process, but if we have insight into this, then we can stop it from happening, or, or try our best anyway which is that a lot of times we get tunnel vision 
and that we boil down our entire relationship to God to one point. That our entire relationship to God is based on this one desire that we have, this one prayer that we have, and, you know, to the extent that God answers it, we're still in business, and to the extent that God doesn't answer it, the relationship's over. It's a very dangerous place to get to, spiritually speaking, and, and many, many of us who start off in the best, best place fall victim to this type of, to this type of malady, Right? The problem with this is is that God is giving us so much all the time, every single second, every single moment. And unless we're keeping an expanded consciousness and appreciating all the prayers that are being answered, especially all the prayers that are being answered that we're not even saying prayers for, right? That we can stand up, that we can walk, that our car starts, that we can do any one of a trillion different things. Every single one of those things is an individual, separate blessing, an act of kindness from God to us that we're the beneficiaries of. And it's at our own risk, really, the danger to our, the life of our own souls. No, no, no smaller consequences than that. Big stakes here. That we allow our entire relationship with God to be defined by one single desire, even if it's a very worthy desire, even if it's a very great need. Chas v'shalom, I'm not speaking against the importance and the urgencies of, of certain needs. People need things, absolutely. People need Yeshua's, they need salvations, absolutely. And God should bless us all with them. Say, Amen! Amen. Uh, that was a little weak. <laughs> Let's try it again. Amen! <laughs> Okay, maybe God will give us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> um, actually, but I have to judge people favorably, so I'll teach a halacha, which is that you're not allowed to say amen louder than the blessing. <laughs> so you guys are being very from. That's what I, I think would just happen there. So, <laughs> so, so, so it, that's true. That's a real. That's a real halacha. That if someone says, uh, says, you know, bracha Tashem Hashem elokinim pray priya eats, and you go, amen. That's that's considered uh, halachically out of whack. Okay, so the the amen has to fit the blessing. Okay, but you should know if the blessing is very loud, you can give a, a, a loud amen. <laughs> you have room for that. Um, so, uh, so uh, I heard an explanation. I think it was from Reb Zusha, um, the Noam Elimelech's brother, that the reason is because basically uh, that um, it's like the body and the soul, the blessing and the, the and the amen, and they have to be in sync with each other. Okay. So, so, so this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And I want to just take it to the, to the next step now. All right. Just, 
just deepen the conversation a little bit. Um, I once asked Reb Shlomo a question, and he gave me an answer. And I've quoted his answer maybe over the years, dozens of times. But the truth is, is that I've quoted his answer not in the context of really how he answered the question. I've quoted it because his answer was so fantastic and so applicable to so many different situations. But I never put it into the proper context because I never really followed I never really followed why he gave me the answer to that, that answer to that question. So let me just be clear. One time I asked him, I said, how, you know, because you have a lot of people who are, for instance, Bali Chuva, they're people who are, you know, don't necessarily grow up in the, in the traditions of Torah, but then they, you know, as they live life and search and think about the, the world, they, they arrive at the truth of Torah. And, and, and they're on fire. They're absolutely on fire. And then after a period of time, the fire is gone. So I, I asked him, I said, how can someone maintain the fire? Right? And then his eyes lit up and he said, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. And then he said this answer. He said, a person has to treat every piece of information that they receive like like they're getting one puzzle piece but they're missing all the other pieces to the puzzle so i i never i i loved that i loved that answer but i never really understood how that was the answer to the question that I asked. That became, and I've quoted it a number of times, that in my mind became the answer to another question. But not the answer to the question that I asked. It became the answer to the question, how do you learn more and more and still stay in a place of not knowing? Right? So... Because usually, after a person learns a certain amount, all of a sudden they think they know everything. And then, you know, a part of them dies. Remember, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, death entered into the world. So sometimes knowing can, can this type of knowing can deaden a relationship. Right? I always quote this event that happened in my life. I, I once saw this, this couple, was, they were fighting like cats and dogs, and I was their house guest. And I was sitting in the car with the, with the woman and the, the, the man was walking toward the car. And she said to me, with really like hatred in her voice, it was so sad. She said, look, he's going to touch his nose. He's going to touch his nose. Look, he's going to touch his nose. He never touched his nose. It, it was uh, getting nauseous even thinking about it, honestly. She knew him so well. She even knew when he was going to touch his nose. There's only one problem. He didn't touch his nose. But there was real, I mean, like, you know, I've never smelled a dead body before, but dead bodies famously stink, especially if they've been, you know, out in the open for a couple of days. But it, that, that car had the stench of death, I, I promise you. You know? Because she knew him so well. 
You know, when, when I got married, Reb Shlomo blessed me and my wife that we should always surprise each other. You know, this idea of surprising means you, it, it keeps things alive. Because it counteracts this, this, this knowing which has the taste of death in it. Because when someone surprises you, oh, you realize, oh, I don't know this person. But in a positive way, usually. Hopefully it's good surprises. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm in jail. What? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yes, I'm a felon. You didn't know I didn't tell you that? Um, um, so I'm talking about good surprises. So I'm sorry. How did we get onto the topic? <laughs> how can we maintain the fire? Thank you. So how can we maintain the fire? So, so Rip Shlomo wasn't just talking about how not to become arrogant and how to continue to learn a lot of Torah without thinking we know everything. I asked him a different question. He was answering a different question there. I asked him, how do we maintain the fire, the enthusiasm of our relationship with God, of our journey through life, right? And he said, you have to treat each new thing like you're getting one piece of the puzzle, but you don't have the other pieces of the puzzle. I realized that he was talking about something else. So the other day I was feeling very, very uninspired. Just like, ah, uh, just, ah, life, 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 you know? And I heard Reb Shlomo say one time in the name of Reb Labela Eger, he was explaining this notion of Parsha Stuma, why it is that when Yaakov Avinu is about to die, there's, there's always a space between one week's Torah portion and the next week's Torah portion. There's always a white space. There's one instance in the entire Torah where one week's Torah portion goes directly into the next week's Torah portion, and there's no white space in the Torah. That's with the death of Yaakov. And Rashi brings that basically that's talking about right there the beginning of the exile, the beginning of the enslavement of the Jews in Egypt. So there in, the space, there in the place where you have no white space, it's talking about the beginning of enslavement, the beginning of exile. So what's the connection? So Reb Shlomo said in the name of Reb Lebula Eger that you know, you know what it means to be in exile? You know what it means to be in a funk and in depression? You think that because today was like yesterday. Because today was the same as it was yesterday. That tomorrow is going to be just like today. You think that because today was just like yesterday you think tomorrow is going to be just like today. That's exile. That's the idea of this continuity, of no space, of new, no new beginning. 
that yesterday, last week's Parsha, is going directly into today's Parsha. There's no break. It's all the same. All of my todays from now on are going to be the same as all of my yesterdays. This is what exile is emotionally. That you think that basically life, now you know life, there's nothing new, there's no new surprises. It's just going to be the same from now on. Just this, more of this. This is exile. This is exile. So, so, so I said, I asked Rip Shlomo, I said, how does someone keep the fire? And he said, you have to keep, you have to treat each new piece of information like you're getting one puzzle piece, but you don't have the rest of the puzzle pieces. What does that mean if I have one puzzle piece, but I don't have the rest of the other puzzle pieces? That means I don't know. I've got part of the picture, but I haven't got the whole picture. So in other words, if you want to stay on fire, you have to realize you don't have the whole answer. If you want to go through life and you want to be excited and you want to continue to be excited, you must resist with all of your strength the idea that I understand this world and I understand life and I understand what tomorrow is going to bring. You have to be an absolute look. If I have one piece of a jigsaw puzzle and I don't have any of the other pieces, and I don't even have the box that it came in. So can you tell what, a, what, a, what the jigsaw puzzle is going to look like if you have one piece and you don't have the cover of the box? You have no idea. That's really exciting. Can you imagine you're assembling this entire jigsaw puzzle? You have no idea what it's going to look like and it's your life? And you're in the middle of putting it together? And every single new day, you just have that same new one piece? That's exciting. That's exciting. That's a cure. That's a, that's a cure to a, a, a great human illness of exile, of depression, of being in a funk, of thinking we know. I mean, it's like, it's like a chiropractic adjustment of the brain, right? All of a sudden I go, I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. But not as an occasional thought. As the thought that you live your life with. And the truth is, is that if you don't know what's coming next, you will lead a much fuller life. Because... You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that one of the worst things that you can do to a person is, let's say, they're usually late to shul. And, and the person shows up on time. And you go, hey, what are you doing on time? You're the guy who's late to shul. He says, that's killing the person. You're, you're literally killing the person. Here, a person's trying to do good and he's trying to change. And you're telling him, no, you're the guy who doesn't change. You're the guy who's in this category, not that category. As an aside, I also heard him say that you should never say to someone, you know, you look like this other guy I know. <laughs> Very interesting. Because I guess we really have to appreciate our own uniqueness. 
and we can change. And if you come up to someone and you take away their power or discourage them in their power to change or to improve, right? Like I'll tell you from my own life, one of the things that I really don't like is if you, sometimes you start to say something negative and then you catch yourself and the person goes, no, you started, you got to finish. Can you imagine like you're, you're, you pick up a piece of pork and you bring it towards your mouth and then you go, ah, oh, it's pork. And you start to put it down on the plate again without eating it. And someone says, no, 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 no. You picked it up. You've got to eat the pork. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Like someone wants to change. They want to do something good. And it's like, no, you're the guy who comes late. What are you talking about? So sometimes we do this to ourselves. If we think we know what tomorrow holds for us, and then someone says, hey, you know something, this is crazy, but I just got two tickets to the so-and-so. You want to come with me? And then a voice comes into your head. No, you're the person who stays home. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I can't then. No, sorry, it sounds great, but I'm the person who stays home. <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? What are you doing to yourself? You know, you know how the next day is. You know how the next five minutes is. If you don't know, then you also don't know all these things about yourself. So you also can't cut your own wings off. And then you open up yourself to whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, life is this ongoing, fluid, amazing thing. Because anything can happen at any moment. You can go in any direction at any moment. Okay, so let's, let's wrap it up. Amuna is very powerful. Amuna, belief, it's very powerful. It, like the Noam Elimelech says, it can repair the pipelines. Remember, Ratzon, will, which can also be like Amuna, right? Is Tsinor, it's the pipelines. It repairs the pipelines. When you say Amen, Amen is El Melech Ne'eman, God faithful king. Amen is the same root as Amuna, right? So when you say Amen, and you say it strongly, and you believe, right? The Gemara says amen can be even more powerful than, than the blessing itself. You're repairing the pipelines. Your amuna is repairing the pipelines. And then the Shefa comes down and you believe that whatever God is sending you, that's the best thing. And you don't limit your entire relationship to God that he's the one who can send you X. For sure he is. But he's also giving you a trillion other things. And keep that in mind at all times. Think of all the prayers that God is answering that you didn't even pray. Right? So understand that God is very close and he's giving you stuff all the time. And not to disconnect over, over a need, even if it's a very great need. Right? And also to understand that, that real amuna is absolutely believing in the goodness of God. And understanding that everything that God is bringing down is, is, is for the best. And that a lot of your amuna is going to privilege you, like the Rambam says, 
to an even higher level of divine providence, which means all the more so God is going to answer your prayer beyond what you even know to pray. So that you're getting your prayer answered, it's just like that is absolutely the best thing for you right now, whatever is coming down, even if it's not what you have in mind necessarily. And to allow yourself to stay on fire by not cutting yourself off from every single new moment that's coming down. Not only not defining other people and keeping other people in a box, but also not doing the same thing to yourself and keeping yourself in a box by saying, I'm the person who does this or I'm the person who doesn't do that. But by allowing yourself to appreciate that every single moment you're just being given one puzzle piece. And you don't know. You didn't see what the box is. You don't know what the picture looks like. And you don't know where the other pieces are. And you just parlay it into this adventure that life is. Okay. Have a great week. Bye. So that was for my mother, Sarachaya Bas Ari Hakoin. And I'll just uh, tell you one of my favorite stories, which is um, I had the, the opportunity to, to make this little movie, this little um, viral type film in uh, Yerushalayim. It's just a couple of minutes. Uh, I think we called it Laundry Day, and it was with a, 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 a Breslov Rechassid in. I met him in the old city by the Kotel. He was had this big boombox that was playing this, like, you know, kind of like this, you know, techno Rebbe Nachman song that I just loved it so much. Um, I think it's on the Happy Minion website right now, happyminion.org, if you want to see it. And um, anyway, at the end of this, like, very cool, wonderful experience, um, I thanked him, and he said to me, you know, I feel like our souls come from the same root. And I, you know, I was moved by that because I liked him a lot. And I said to him, are you a levy? Because I'm a levy. I figured if our souls are connected at the same root, then maybe he's a levy too. So he said to me, yeah, he said, I'm a levy. You know, so that's, levies are definitely a minority. You know, they're not all that many levies, so. And then I thought to myself, because my mother, this is the reason why I'm telling the story, my mother's a Bas Kohen. My mother's father was a Kohen. Right? And I thought to myself, well, he's a Levi. I wonder if his mother's a Bas Kohen. But that's getting really hyper-specific. And I thought, you know, we just had such a wonderful day together, and I asked him if he's a Levi. He already said he's a Levi. I don't want to ruin this moment, you know? <laughs> so I didn't ask him. So I just kept silent. And then... He said to me, is your mother a Bas Kohen? <laughs> and I was like, yes. So then he said to me, I want to tell you a story. So he said it was like, I don't know what time it was, two in the morning, three in the morning. He said a group of us went into the tunnel underneath the Kotel. And there's a point in the Kotel which is the closest to the Holy of Holies. And it's a place where people go and they have extra kavana and they pray very hard because... That's as close as you can get to where the Holy of Holies is. And he says afterwards, he said it was a group of around 10 guys. They came out and they were just talking with each other and they realized all of them were Levies and all of their mothers were Bas Kohens. Now the odds of that 
like a trillion to one. I mean, it's like... Anyway, so so my mom, Neshama should have an Aliyah. She's the daughter of a Kohen. My, my, her, her father came over to America um, from Italy, from northern Italy, from Trieste. And um, when he stowed away on a ship to Ellis Island, when he was like, I think he was 11 or 13, he came with his cousin. They were 11 and 13. They stowed away to America. And he taught himself to read and write English. And uh, he became a businessman and was a, a baltzedaka, gave a lot of charity, helped a lot of people. And um, and my mother was very great. And I always like to tell this story. So um, I grew up in New York City in an apartment building. And there's sort of like this ritual to uh, apartment living, apartment building living, uh, which is the ringing for the elevator and waiting for the elevator to come. There's always like time you have to wait, you know. So in my house, you know, we'd, we'd always say to one person or another for leaving, ring for the elevator, right? So, so I, I would do that. And then every morning before I went to school, while I was waiting for the elevator, my mother would say these words to me. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you would like to win, but think you can't, it's almost a cinch that you won't. You've got to think high to rise. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Okay. I love you, Mom, now and forever. Okay, so I want to add something um, special. Uh, I told you that that word uh, shever uh, also means um, to receive. So, so I want to give you a source for that. So lishbor means to get or to receive, and and in in the Torah you see it. It's uh, in 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 forty-three, um, verse. Chapter forty-three, verse two, and Yaakov Avinu is talking to the his sons, and he says, "Shivru lanu meat ochel," meaning shivru shever, which in the previous context meant the, the the breaking of it. Here it means the purchasing of bread. So amazingly, in in both instances, it's talking about food, you know, about bread. So that's um. That's very amazing, and and it, it shows you that with Amuna, these pipelines can either be broken or they can be repaired. So so uh, I needed that source, and I had actually called uh, um, Yehuda before the talk, and he just called me after the talk. So this is a little P.S. I'll tell you something amazing. So he's about to perform this gig in a different part of the country. And as soon as he told me that that the source that that shivru here means to receive, all of a sudden he went, "Oh, what? It's raining! It just started pouring raining." So, so he said it was just hot and a second ago. Now it's 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 raining like crazy. So it should be a a, a positive sign, a blessing that 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 the blessings are coming down and with. Amuna, we can restore all the pipelines and we can receive all of our needs for all of Israel.